I don't know about you, but I think it happens to me almost every time. But I, I have a bunch of stuff that I need to go to the store to pick up. And I get there, and I do the shopping, I get the items, and I go home, and I realize I forgot something. Or maybe I unload those things, and, and my wife looks at me and says, what about that? And it's kind of funny, because that is almost always the one thing that I actually went to the store to get, and not some of the other stuff. Now, I used to just chalk it up to, to maybe getting older, but this has been happening for quite a while now. And the reason I forget is because I didn't write it down. I, I, I had a list here, <laughs> but I didn't have it written down. I didn't have it in my phone, so I did not remember everything that I needed to get. I'm guessing you can relate. Because I think it's safe to say that we all need reminders. Maybe the reminders that we plug into our phone that buzz and ding and make other annoying sounds to tell us we have to do something. Maybe for some of you, you're kind of old school, so you got a pen and you got a little notebook and you're writing those down. Things that you have to remember so you don't forget. Or maybe if you're kind of a little bit crazy and nuts like me, because I've been accused of this before, I won't mention by who, but, but maybe you're a big fan of the post-it note. And if you've ever been in my office at any given time, you will find five to ten plus of these sticking on the desk or, or sticking to the computer screen, little reminders so I don't forget. Because right, we all need them. We all need reminders, whether it's to, to pick up the kids at a certain time, to get them to that practice at a certain location. Reminders to, to get working on that project that's due at work in two weeks that we haven't even started or that paper that's due tomorrow and you're going to have to cram tonight. We need reminders. Maybe it's a reminder about a birthday. Maybe it's a reminder, guys, of an anniversary that you better not forget. Right? Or maybe it's just simply a reminder to actually get the gallon of milk that you originally went to the store to purchase. But we all need them, right? We all need these reminders because we easily forget. In fact, I was just reading about the memory and, and how it works this past week, and, and it made an interesting point. It said this. It said that if human beings won't act on things oftentimes unless they are reminded. I think that's true. I don't think I even needed to read that article to know that unless I'm reminded, I will easily forget like half of what I'm supposed to do on any particular day. You know who else knows that? God. God knows that you and I easily forget. And so you know what he does? He reminds us in his word Again and again and again and again and again. And, and I can't even tell you how many agains I need to put there because I, I was looking at this past week. And in the Bible program that I use, I just typed in words like remember, remind, remembrance, and those words show up literally hundreds of times on the pages of Scripture. Because God knows we forget. 
In fact, one of the stories that stood out at me this last week was when God rescued his people from Egypt. Do you know that one? If you don't, let me recap real quick. They're in slavery. They've been there for 400 plus years. God hears their cries. He brings them out in a fantastic, amazing, miraculous way. And you know what they do almost immediately? This food stinks. Moses, what kind of leader is he? I don't want him to be my leader. Aaron, the high priest, he's my past. No, they grumble and they complain. And you know what God has to do? Hey, guys, remember what just happened? Remember how I rescued you, how I saved you, how I brought you from Egypt, and I'm going to give you this promised land? Remember. See, God knows something about us. He knew something about his people back then, and he knows something about us now, is that you and I forget a lot. We need reminders. We need reminders of his love and goodness. We need reminders of what he's done for us. We need reminders that that he loves us, that he saved us, that he's got our back, that he's going to take us to heaven because you and I forget. And so over the next four weeks in this new sermon series, God, through his word, is going to help us remember. And it's a series that, that I want to be honest with you, it took a while to put together. I mean, ask Audrey as, as the worship planner. She had to get on my case, like, Pastor, where are the readings? What's the themes? I need to pick out music. And the comm director would probably say the same thing for her slides. Because I thought to myself, what am I going to tell you guys? Because most of you by now know this will be my last sermon series that I get to preach to you as your pastor. And I thought about all the different passages, all the different Bible stories, all the different things we could talk about and, and, and think about. And then remember came up. And then I thought some more, you know, there's so many things that, that we could talk about Remember, We could remember the times that we packed into a little storefront that would fit twice, maybe three times, just in this worship area alone. We could talk about the times where where half the people were there, even on a good Sunday. We could talk about being in a trampoline park because a hurricane destroyed that storefront. We could talk about COVID and what that did. We could talk about all the highs and lows and blessings God has given to us, but we're not going to. Because I don't think that's the most important thing that God wants us to remember. So over the next four weeks, we're going to remember first who God is. Who is Jesus? Then we're going to talk about who you are because of what Jesus has made you to be. And then we want to talk about purpose and mission. Why did God place you here at this specific place in time and history? And it wasn't necessarily to remember those things I just said as good as they are. It's to let your light shine. But first off today, I think we've got to start with maybe the most important one. Remember who he is. So who is Jesus? I'm not trying to insult your intelligence because I hope and pray that everybody sitting here and everybody watching online, you could answer that question like that in your sleep. Because if you can't, then I've probably failed as your pastor. And you should have fired me a long time ago, right? You should know that, but it's not necessarily a clear-cut, easy answer if we really start to think about it. All right, who is Jesus? Some people say that Jesus was just a really good moral teacher. 
right? A good guy who taught us how to live our lives, taught us how to love and serve others, to be kind and compassionate, and that's who they say Jesus is. And that's not entirely untrue, but that's not, that's not far enough in who Jesus is. Some say that Jesus was nothing more than a political activist, right? He, he stood up to Rome, and he stood up to those nasty church people of the day, the Pharisees, right? And he, he showed them who's boss, and he stood up to them. And there's still churches today that, that kind of hold Jesus up as a political activist, and they use him to say you should vote this way or that way, and that's how they view Jesus. Some would say Jesus was a social activist, he helped the down and out. He hung out with the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the sick and the lame and women and others that at that time society kind of marginalized and Jesus was a champion for the down and out. Some say that's what Jesus did and that's who he was. Others? Others say he never existed at all. So what are we going to do with this information? With so many thoughts, so many opinions on who Jesus is, I think even for followers of Christ, it can get kind of confusing at times because maybe we're tempted to think he was one of those things too. And so will the real Jesus stand up? Will he make himself known? I got good news for you. Today he's going to. If you have any doubts, if you have any questions, if you're wondering who Jesus is, Jesus himself wants to reveal who he is to you today and what that means for your life. And so in order to do that, we're going to actually look at two different sections of God's word. The first one we, we actually read in our gospel reading, and we're going to read just kind of a couple verses, condensed verses, and this is what Mark says. It says, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. Now, there's one thing I always try to remind people when we're talking about these biblical narratives is to understand that the original recipients and the people that were there on the ground that day did not know what you know. Right? If you want, you know the whole story. Genesis to Revelation, you know what happens, you know who wins, you know how it all goes down. The people there that day didn't know. You'd also know what they didn't know? They didn't know who he was. Because Jesus didn't look like anything special. He was an ordinary guy from an ordinary town like Nazareth, which most people didn't think much of, up in Galilee, which they considered kind of backwater. And so almost nobody there that day knows who Jesus truly is. If anything, they might know his name. They might know where he's from. They might know what his daddy used to do and what he took over the family business of carpentry, but they don't actually know who he is. And so if Jesus is trying to blend in, he's doing a really good job. And we're told here, Mark says, that, that Jesus comes to the Jordan to actually get baptized. So he meets up with a guy named John. Not John who wrote the gospel, not John who wrote Revelation or those letters, but a guy named John the Baptist. And if you don't know anything about him, the prophets like Isaiah said a guy like him would come and prepare the people for the Savior's coming in the kingdom of God. 
So that's what John's doing, right? He's, he's preaching, he's teaching, he's baptizing, he's saying repent because God's about to do some really crazy cool stuff in human history. Get ready. Prepare your hearts. Well, on this day, Jesus shows up, and John knows who Jesus is, but most of the others don't. And so John and Jesus go into the water, and it still looks kind of ordinary, right? Everybody watching, John's done this hundreds of times. He's going to go in there, he's going to speak some words from God, he's going to splash some water over this guy, and then he'll come on out, and then he'll do another one, and they'll come on out, and he'll do another one. But this one would be different. Because as Jesus is coming out of the water after the baptism, you see what happens, right? The heavens open up, the Spirit comes down, and a voice booms. Right here at Jesus' baptism, we see the divine make an entrance into the finite world that we live in. And this is what he says. You are my son. Or some of the other accounts say it this way. This is my son whom I love. I'm pleased with him and you must listen to him. Can you imagine that? Right, this guy standing in the river looking so ordinary. This guy who's from a place like Nazareth. I mean, that's like saying, and I'm not trying to disrespect anybody, that's like saying he's, he's from out there near, near Beulahville. Small town, small county, didn't come from much. That guy, the one standing next to John the Baptist wearing his crazy camel hair wardrobe, dripping wet from his baptism, that's the guy that the Father's voice says is my son. You know what that means? Oh, this is huge. It means that Jesus is not just an ordinary guy. It means that Jesus is not just the carpenter's son from Nazareth or a rabbi who's kind of growing into his own and he's doing some good teaching. No, he's God. He's God. The one standing in the river that day is none other than God who took on flesh, or as Isaiah says, Emmanuel, God with us, and he came to save So who is Jesus? Mark wants you to remember that this is none other than God himself, approved by the Father, the Son, Savior, who came for you. Don't forget it. And that takes us to our second reading. And there were a lot of readings that, that we could have chosen that would talk about who Jesus is, but... One of the reasons I chose this one is because it happens actually shortly after the first reading, his baptism. Did you know that? So Jesus is baptized, and then immediately he's led out into the desert, and you know who he goes 12 rounds with? Satan. And you know who wins? Jesus. And then after that battle in the wilderness, Jesus then comes back, and he starts to teach and to preach in the synagogues. He starts to share with people who he is and why he came. And this story in particular has an interesting twist because we're going to see again without a shadow of a doubt who he is because only God could do what happens in the synagogue in Capernaum on that Sabbath. Listen in. Luke tells us the story. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. 
They're amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and they said to each other, What words are these? With authority and power he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. As I was reading through this, this account of one of Jesus' interactions with demons, because this wasn't the first, it wouldn't be his last, some things kind of, kind of stood out to me. First of all, you kind of get the impression that this guy who was possessed, he'd been to church before. Right? Because nobody was barring him. We're not told that they kept him out and he fought his way beyond the bouncers. Because right? if they knew this guy was possessed by a demon and had violent outbursts, they probably wouldn't have let him in the door. So you kind of get the impression that maybe he's been to church a few times before and nobody else knew his struggle with demons. Or you almost get the impression that he had been suffering from demonic possession in seclusion. Maybe a few people knew. And I don't think that's far-fetched because I, I think about the times that, that we all walk through these doors. On any given Sunday, we don't know what everybody's going through. We don't always know the battles and the struggles and the trials. What we often get is a smile and a wave, and I'm fine. And that's not always true. Maybe that's what this guy was enduring. But either way, on this particular Sabbath, those demons through a fit, right? You, you hear it in the reading. I mean, they come undone. And you have to ask the question, why? Because if they've been to church before, if he's been around anybody else who, who followed God before, these demons were not immune or, or did not have, had not have heard some of these things before. So, so why did they get so upset this time? I think the answer is simple and clear. Because Jesus preached with authority. Jesus amazed the people in the synagogue that day, and he often did other times because they said, this guy preaches way different than any of our other preachers. He preaches with power, with authority. And Jesus actually preached the gospel. All right, so maybe these demons who were, who were attacking this guy figured, like, we're just going to go into church again. We're going to hear another gospelist sermon. We're going to leave. We're going to still have our grips on this guy and business as usual. But that day, they were mistaken. Because when they walked in with this man that they were possessing, they were confronted with him. And they did not just hear another gospelist sermon. They saw and heard the gospel in the flesh, and they couldn't take it. They'd come undone, right? Listen to what they say. Go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. 
right? A couple interesting things here, right? First of all, out of all the people in the synagogue that day, even if majority, if not all of them, had no idea exactly who Jesus is yet, the demons know. Satan's minions know exactly who is standing before him, and they know exactly why he came. Have you come to destroy us? We know who you are. We know why you're here. And we know what you've come to do. And it's to smoke us. And they were terrified. How would Jesus respond? I I love his response. This is what Jesus says in two really short sentences. He says, be quiet. Come on out. Think about that. Be quiet. Come on out. I just said in about four seconds, Jesus drops these demons like a bad habit. There was no like rituals. There was no crucifixes like we might see on the Hollywood screen when they do an exorcism. None of that. Jesus just says, be quiet. And they do. And then Jesus says, come out of him. And they do. Immediately, no questions asked. It happens. And we're told at the end of the reading, the guy is actually okay. He's fine. These demons had to submit because of who Jesus is. They had no choice but to release this guy from demonic possession. And we're not even told how long he suffered, maybe his entire life, who knows. But they had to immediately, at that moment, let him go because Jesus is who he says he is. Because Jesus is who the Father says he is. Because Jesus is who the scripture says he is. He is God. He is the devil destroyer. And those demons had to bow and let that guy go because they had met their match. That's an amazing truth, isn't it? Jesus is God. Jesus came to destroy the devil's work. Jesus came to give you life and light and salvation and peace and joy and confidence and all kinds of amazing things. Yet how often don't we forget that? How often don't we easily forget? And I'm not saying, like, if I called you at 2.30 in the morning or you called me, who's Jesus? We could answer that. But just because we know it here doesn't always mean we know it here and how we're always living our lives. Does that make sense? Like just, we might fundamentally understand and know who Jesus is, but many times functionally in our lives, we don't always live like we know who he is. Right? Sometimes we forget that there's a battle going on all around us, but not just around us, in us. Do you know that? That's what the Bible says. I think of those verses from Paul. The Apostle Paul once said, your battle, my battle, our battle as children of God is not against flesh and blood. It's against the forces of evil at work in this world. It's against Satan. It's against demonic forces. It's against sin and death and hell itself. You and I, we're not enemies. No human beings are enemy. The enemy's Satan. The enemy's the devil. The enemy's sin and death and hell that want to destroy us. And how often don't we forget that? We start to maybe think it's that person at work or that person in our family or that person at church. They're the enemy. Jesus says, what are you talking about? They're not. 
The enemy's far more deadly and far more sinister than a person. Right? See, sometimes we forget of the demonic forces at work in this world and the ones that are going on in our own hearts trying to rip us away from him. Trying to take our eyes off of Jesus and destroy us from the inside out spiritually. And you know what happens when we forget that? We start to doubt God. We start to doubt his love. We start to doubt his goodness. We, we, we start to doubt when we take our eyes off of him and forget who he truly is and what he's done for us. And so we need a reminder, constantly. Because right, as I think, thought about these things this past week, you know, I, I thought about a couple of things. First of all, I thought about myself. Because they teach us in school, like every good preacher, like you should preach this to yourself first. And I thought about all the times that I have forgotten who Jesus is. Oh, sure, at any moment, you could wake me up from a dead sleep. Who's Jesus? I'm going to be able to tell you who he is. But I don't always live it and act it. You know, I thought about the times where, where, where I doubt his love and goodness, the times where I've thought, you know, what's the point? Nobody's listening anyway, Jesus. Haven't you seen the world? I mean, even people in your own church don't seem to care. And I doubt. But after I thought about how I have failed, I also thought about you. And not even so much how you fail, but I thought about how Satan so easily trips us up. I thought about some of you who, who, who maybe your entire life you were told you weren't good enough and you wouldn't add up to anything. And it wasn't just the bully at school who told you that. It was your own family. Maybe it was even a mom or a dad. And eventually you believed it. And Satan got his fingers a little deeper into you. I, I thought about some of you who maybe feel like such a failure, maybe in your marriage... Or maybe it's a marriage that failed. Maybe it's in your relationship with a kid, right? Mom guilt's a real thing, right? Amen, moms, right? Dad guilt's a thing too. Or you thought about your failures as a worker or as a friend. And Satan got his claws a little bit deeper into you. And I thought about some of you who struggle with depression. Maybe to the point where you don't even want to get out of bed. You'd rather just keep the door locked and keep that world out there. And, 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 and you're sad all the time. And, and sometimes you don't even know why. And how Satan used that to, to get his grip a little tighter on you. I thought about some of you who are worried about this and that and everything under the sun and your anxiety is off the charts. And, and half the time you would say, I know I have no reason to be anxious, but I am. And Satan has used that to kind of turn your attention off of Jesus to other things. I thought about some of you who, who maybe are, are caught in some sort of addiction. Maybe it's the drugs or alcohol or pornography or some of the more common ones we think of, but maybe it's an addiction to your own pride. Your own need to be right at all costs. Your own arrogance or self-righteousness, because we all struggle with all of those and more. I thought about some of you who you just so badly want to be validated, right? You, you want that person, you want that spouse or that parent to validate you, to love you, to, to have your back, but no matter what you do, you, you can't seem to get it. 
And Satan uses that to turn your attention off Jesus. And I thought of some of you who are so into your identity based on your roles in this life and not on who Jesus says you are. Maybe it's your identity as a parent or as a spouse or or as a worker or as a Marine or as a pastor. And, And when those things don't go the way you thought or when someday you have to put it on the shelf and you're done in those roles, you come undone, you don't know what to do. And Satan uses that, again, to take your eyes off of Jesus and who he is. I thought about all those things and so much more, and I thought about how, how the devil and those demonic forces are working overtime, sowing the seeds of doubt and anger and pride and suspicion and a whole host of other dark things into our hearts so that we forget who Jesus is and what he's done. Well, then I read through these, these scripture lessons again, and... Jesus helped to remind me, as I hope he's helping to remind you today. Because that's how God works, right? You you know that. God works through his word. And, And when he comes to us in his word, he comes to remind us again and again and again who he is and what he's done for us. He comes to us again and again, and he shares with us the life-changing message of the gospel. And you know what that is, right? It's good news, the good news of Jesus, who he is and what he's done. He is God's son, the Savior, who died for you. And if you and I are going to stand a chance against the attacks of the devil, we have to run to Jesus and his word. We have to. In fact, maybe you remember the story which happened before, actually in between the baptism and the demons in the synagogue that day, right? I mentioned it earlier. Jesus is out in the wilderness. He beat the devil. You know how he did it, though? He didn't do it in a magnificent, glorious, majestic, godly way, even though Jesus could have. Jesus could have just thought the thoughts. He could have, Satan was toast, but he doesn't. You know how Jesus beat the devil? each and every temptation, Jesus looked at him and said, it is written, it is written, it is written. Jesus quotes scripture. In other words, Jesus quotes his own words. And why does he do it that way? I think there's an absolute certain reason why. Because you and I can't beat the devil the way God can. And so what does Jesus do? He defeats him And then he takes that weapon called his word and he places it into your laps and into mine and says, there, if you want to destroy and defeat the devil, use me and my word. It's the only way that's going to work. And so maybe that's why sometimes, and some of you who've been here a while, right, I'm constantly harping like, get your butt to church. And when church is over, when I say amen, don't run out these doors because if you think that you can come here for an hour or two a week and no more and you're good, Satan will have a field day with you on Wednesday. And I don't know about you, but I know my own life, Satan's already trying to and he often has a field day with me on Sunday afternoon. And so God says, come. Because he wants to remind you, he wants to assure you, and the way he does it is through his word, right? Whether it's here, whether it's in our homes, whether it's in our life groups, wherever it is, when we open up the word of God, he is there to exercise our demons. Whether it is here, whether it's in our homes, whether it's in your life groups, Jesus comes with power and authority to go toe-to-toe 
with the devils in your life to remove them and to save you. Right? Jesus, wherever the word is open, he comes to strengthen you, to equip you, and to give you the battle weapons you will need if you want to stand a chance against the devil. Wherever the word is proclaimed, there Jesus is. And that's why, I don't know if you realize this or not, but Satan is scared to death of you. Do you know that? He's scared to death of this place. He's scared to death of your life groups. He's scared to death of your homes where the word is open and read. And you want to know why? Not because this place is some special place. He's not scared of the building. And to be honest, he's technically actually not scared of you in and of itself. You know why he's terrified? Because you belong to him. And he knows that he cannot beat him. And so Jesus says, come and be reminded of that truth. Friends, that's, that's really why one of the way, or one of the reasons why I just love being a pastor, because as a pastor, I get to do this full time. I get to tell you that Jesus loves you way more than you could ever imagine. I get to tell you that when you have failed, and maybe you're feeling down about it, Jesus never did. I get to tell you that where, where you have given in to temptation, and I have too, Jesus has come and knocked Satan out and paid for that sin too. I get to tell you that Jesus is not just a moral teacher. He's not a political activist. He's not a social activist. He's God who came to take on flesh for you. And then he came to wear a crown and spikes to save you. I get to tell you that Jesus loves you, and if you ever doubt, maybe the greatest reminder you could ever have, run as fast as you can to that cross and that empty tomb and know who he is and what he's done. Because only God could die and pay for your sins, and only God could rise and make you his own. And if you don't believe me, Jesus says, I got the nail marks to prove it. Right? This, is, this is where we get to hear the truth of the gospel from the lips of God, Jesus himself. Right? This is where we, this is where I, we, we get to proclaim the words of Jesus to the demonic forces in our lives. And we say, be quiet and get out. And you know what they have to do? They have to listen. Because they can't beat Jesus. In fact, the battle's already done. He's already won. And he gives that victory to you. And so when those devils come to tempt you and say, you'll never measure up, you know what Jesus says? Forget about it. You do. You measure up because I have made you mine and I bought you with my blood and I call you child. Or when the devils come and attack you and you're feeling depressed or anxious, Jesus comes and says, my child, I got you. And I know you're struggling and I know you're maybe scared or you're worried, but I will bring you through this. Trust me. When the demons come and say, you know what? God couldn't forgive you for that. Jesus says, you be quiet. I've forgiven you already. Come, touch the nail holes. Come and taste and, and see and drink the forgiveness that I won for you. It's all yours. I am your God. I'm your Savior. No matter what the devils and demons tell you, I have won. And because you belong to me, 
you win. Who is Jesus? It's a huge question. It's an important question that we cannot miss and we cannot get wrong. And Jesus this morning tells us and he wants us to remember it. He is our friend. He is your brother. He is your savior. He is your God. And because of him, you cannot lose. Amen.